Greetings again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OSI Today, the podcast featuring news and views from around the Office of Special Investigations. I'm Wayne Amon from OSI Public Affairs, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by OSI Commander Brigadier General Terry L. Bullard to bring us up to speed on the current state of OSI. General, as always, great to share a microphone and uh, opposite ends of the table with you. <laughs> so, Wayne, good to see you. Uh, good to have the time to sit down with you again. Um, I-, I will tell you, uh, to be able to do this after we recently were able to address the command on the state of OSI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, for me, have that opportunity to you know share with them uh, this this almost four year journey now. Uh, yeah. You know some of the things that that you know they have been able to accomplish, uh, and use our new platform uh, that that was that allows us to talk more freely with the command mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and get into you know far greater detail than we have on other medium was just. It was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, so, and a platform like this one too, sir, with uh, transparency for the external audiences as well. Uh, absolutely, and yeah. and I think uh, you know that's it's so critical, so important to have you know both of those capabilities, um, you know, and and the two way you know capability of that. So the the ability for our personnel in the field to you know come back with real time you know questions, mm-hmm. uh, and for them to feel comfortable asking some of these questions as opposed to other mediums where they you know just weren't weren't able to do that same thing. Sure. So you know found it as uh, you know yet another uh, you know innovation uh, that uh, the uh, uh, the the PA team and our IT team were able to pull off and put together, and I'm just really excited about what that means for the command in the future. Uh, and how you know we're able to address you know the entire uh, global span of the command, right, um, right. It, you know in a you know in a far more personal setting mm-hmm. uh, than written correspondence or videotaped correspondence. Sure. So it was it was a lot of fun. Gotta love high tech, right? Gotta love it. Gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, uh, I guess it would be an understatement to say that uh, lots has been happening uh, within yeah. the command these last four years. Uh, you know, uh, under your watch. Uh, 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 let's begin with one that I know that's near and dear to your heart. And that the hearts of uh, agents throughout the command and that's the uh, weapons program update what's the latest on that front? absolutely so i'll tell you <laughs> i i would have i would have almost promised you that before all the growth we experienced in the command uh we we would have gotten the weapon piece first right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but it, it, it's you know in navigating uh, the complexities of making this happen for the command you know, the, I, I just marvel at the team's uh, ability to persevere, mm-hmm. you know, to push through, to make those justifications. So I was so excited, uh, you know, a while back to be able to announce to the command that uh, we had, you know, finally had uh, the new weapons approved. Uh, those new weapons were the Glock 19 and 26 mm-hmm. that allow us a compact and subcompact version uh, of the weapon uh, that gives a lot more versatility uh, for our agent force. Uh, who are all not all cut from one cloth, you know, one right, one size, right, right. Uh, that our mission sets, you know, mm-hmm. change uh, depending on, uh, you know, any number of factors. Mm-hmm. So the ability not only to have these two weapons, but to allow agents to qualify on either one or both, I think allows for a great deal of flexibility. Uh, so very excited about that. So um, the latest is uh, the, the contractor, uh, is, uh, has notified us uh, that they are on task, on time, uh, to deliver uh, to the Air Force inventory, which is, of course, where they have to go first, right, um, right. to be delivered before the end of March, mm-hmm. uh, which then hopefully uh, will be, uh, you know, we'll begin to see those weapons come out 
um, you know, uh, in around the May June time frame. Sure. You know, to start sequentially coming yeah. out to. The so there's a gradual matriculation process. Absolutely, because of course, as you can imagine, you know, complexity with not only getting the new weapons out to the field, but of course the turn-in of the old weapons, mm -hmm. uh, the transition yeah. in the qualification and proficiency firing that's going to happen at that same time. Right. Uh, the fact that, of course, it can't all be gunshot to the field all at the same time. Uh, certainly we have to consider, you know, units that are overseas and, you know, some of those restrictions. Right. So I imagine that rollout will take some time. But the good news is they are coming into the inventory um, I told the team I will jump up and down and celebrate when they tell me that they have hit the Air Force inventory because then we know it's only a matter of time and distribution before we can finally retire um, our, uh, our SIG weapons and you know, get these new weapons into the hands of our agents. Uh, certainly at a, you know, at a very unique and, uh, and trying time, mm -hmm. both on the national security front and on the law enforcement yeah, So the good news for the field, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, General, let's uh, move to the uh, OSI Integrated Resiliency Team concept that I know uh, you're very fond of uh, within the command. Um, let's start with the status of adding more providers to the staff. How, how is that coming? Absolutely. So, so I tell you, it's, it's, it's been wonderful to watch this evolve. So, if, you know, as, as uh, Chief Gow and I visit the field, we always talk about the, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, um, uh, our, the OSI Wonder Woman, if you will, in Doc Swank, <laughs> right? Right. Uh, and, you know, and now, you know, Master Sergeant Dunham, her, you know, her partner in this, and, and for the longest time, They've really held down the entire um, employee assistance program for the command. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, with with the success in you know garnering the additional uh, billets for the command, specific to how do we care for our people as we ask them to you know work in these challenging environments, mm -hmm. uh, we've been able to now we have our two um, mental health providers uh, on station. Uh, one in Hawaii and one in Germany, mm -hmm. uh, who now are going to be able to let us really increase that support uh, in the uh, overseas locations. Mm -hmm. uh, so incredibly excited about that. Right. Um, we are uh, looking at bringing our uh, provider on probably uh, later in the summer or into the fall uh, of this year uh, into Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, and having that individual uh, there. Um, then we're looking at um, also bringing on three new mental health technicians mm. um, at those two overseas locations and pairing with our provider in Texas. Right. Uh, so all three areas will be well equipped then? Uh, oh, absolutely. Very well equipped. Um, and the command in Doc Swank has been wonderful at this for so many years. Um, you know, but she would say, you know, in a reactive status, you know, having just enough to be able to go out to the most major of issues, um, you know, the, the most tragic of events right, right. in a reactive posture. And then, of course, being, you know, on call, you know, and I, again, don't know how she's done it for this long, but almost 24-7, 365 sure. you know, for an entire global command. Yeah. So, you know, to now be able to get these regional providers uh, and mental health technicians in place, uh, the idea is to make that transition, to transition from being reactive to proactive in nature. So uh, envision, if you will, you know, the docs being able to maintain uh, a schedule 
of uh, getting into um, getting into visit with the the units in their area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, at least one, if not two times a year, proactively, yeah. uh, and then being able to you know uh, hang out a shingle, if you will, in an office there. Um, and offer up, um, it, you know, that, hey, I, I'm going to have a, you know, a 30-minute session uh, with everybody here right, um, right. and totally remove the stigma of, you know, having to proactively seek assistance. But if we all have, an, you know, have a, a time to go in and speak with uh, the provider, um, and as we, as we tell folks in the field, you can use that 30 minutes to talk about your kids, um, yeah. to talk about your favorite baseball team there you go. Um, uh, or uh, about something that's troubling you or on your mind. But I think the main point being if we're all doing it and, and we begin to make this a routine part of care for our people, mm-hmm. um, then it almost totally eliminates that stigma that, that we always fight through of uh, you know, being pulled off the line or, you know, jeopardizing clearances, things of that nature. Right. Uh, right. And really just maximizes the opportunity for that engagement. Um, and then I think uh, being able to lower the bar on reactive mm-hmm. approaches. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as, as our agents have, um, you, you know, uh, certainly we all run into trying cases, difficult cases uh, involving all manner uh, of offense. Uh, but now with the ability to engage earlier and more often, uh, even in the in those cases that we might not have been able to do that before, mm-hmm. but we still know have an impact on the unit. Right. So just very excited about what this means for the command in the future and what it means for the health of our folks, um, you know, not just in, in execution of the mission, but the fact that when it comes time for them to move to that next chapter, mm-hmm. um, that they do so in a in a you know in a very healthy way, and in a very healthy state because we've taken care of them all along the way, not waiting until the end or only until something breaks. Right, uh, sir, you really did a great job uh, in that last answer, uh, helping me transition to these next couple of <laughs> <Sorry>. questions. <laughs> uh, uh, one dealt with uh, you know what exactly is the Texas plan, which you you did mm-hmm. allude to about uh, placing uh, bodies th- there in Texas. Uh, and, and how the regional coverage throughout the command is pro, uh, progressing, and how does the proactive engagement and reactive response model fit into the overall behavioral sciences model? Yeah, yeah. And, and like I say, I, I just, um, it, you know, I, I love the fact that the command will finally reach a point where we mirror what many other of our law enforcement uh, and national security colleagues uh, have had for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really been, you know, certainly, uh, certainly my goal. It's been a passion of uh, uh, Chief Burn Flint, our previous, uh, you know, uh, command chief, mm-hmm. Chief Gal, our current right. command chief. Uh, really, just a central push to make sure that we were we were able to leave something um, that that would truly take care of our people uh, from the time they walk into the door uh, until the day they, uh, you know, uh, elect to leave. Right. Uh, and speaking of uh, folks who uh, take care of people, uh, can you tell us about the new command chaplaincy additions? Absolutely. Uh, we have two great chaplains on board, and uh, I know uh, uh, you just you couldn't be more proud of uh, them oh, helping the folks in the command. Yeah, and so what, what I love, and uh, you're right, uh, I mean, just two heroes in Chaplain Bravender and Chaplain Smithley, right? Yeah, I mean, just uh, 
to wonderful, caring uh, human beings who are, you know, a credit a credit to the officer corps and a you know a credit to the uh, uh, to the chaplaincy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you know, I think here again, uh, this does something for us that we've never had before, and mm-hmm. that is a you know a command chaplaincy program where when that person, when that member of the command, you know, elects to you know take the spiritual route. Uh, toward improving mm-hmm. uh, their health, um, that they can do so with a chaplain that is part of the command. And that is not to take away at all from our incredible chaplains uh, who at the wing level, at the magic right, level, right, right. Um, you know, have historically taken care of us. But we also know for us, uh, you know, in, in the nature of the business that we do, you know, it is very hard to engage outside of the command. Right. Um, and it's also, um, it, you know, difficult when you're talking about, you know, different levels of clearance and things of that nature. Sure. Really being able to get into case specifics that, mm-hmm. you know, may be driving, um, you know, a, a challenge to spirituality. And to talk to someone who can understand OSIEs, basically. Absolutely. Talking the same language. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, you know, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun, uh, you know, to watch that begin to mature and grow. And so really now what we're moving toward is, uh, you know, what we're calling the OSI uh, Integrated Resiliency Team. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you see there is, of course, the providers and the provider network that we've already discussed. Right. Uh, you've got the chaplains who can now pair or independently, you know, engage mm-hmm. uh, and, and help units work through issues. Um we, you know, of course, are reinforcing the role of our uh, command first sergeant uh, being a part of this integrated resiliency team right. and having the ability now to, you know, bring all of that together, not necessarily under, you know, one boss or one leadership, mm-hmm. uh, but knowing that these, you know, these, these care professionals uh, are are working toward a concept of operations where they can be called on uh, as their individual components or as a team uh, to respond to, to work through issues. Mm-hmm. Again, just takes us to a whole new level of how we get to take care of our folks um, in a mental health sense, uh, you know, a spiritual sense, um, you know, career, knocking down barriers, those things that first right, sergeants right, t- you right. know, typically do for us. Um, just any number of ways uh, that that we can look at to more holistically uh, take care of these, you know, very, very, uh, you know, precious people uh, who do this very difficult job. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think we owe that to them. And now we'll be able to deliver that to them just in a much more comprehensive and, uh, as I say, holistic way. Mm-hmm. Another program that uh, OSI can really hang their hat on over the last few years especially uh, is DO300. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, I've heard about, uh, uh, you know, leadership uh, here saying that uh, one of our, if not our most important weapon system is our people. They, they're, they're the ones who make it all happen. And so DO300, I think, goes a long way to uh, facilitating that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, wonderful to, you know, launch this program uh, with, with Chief Byrne Flint, uh, you know, very early on mm-hmm. uh, in our tenure together. Uh, and then For the listeners who may not be familiar with DO300, uh, oh, if yes. you can, in a nutshell, kind of explain, you Absolutely. know, Arbutus Digest's version of what that is. Absolutely. Exactly. 
So really, uh, what we saw, in, and this really went, harkened back to um, uh, General uh, David Goldfein, the then mm-hmm. Chief of Staff of the Air Force, right. who was very concerned about the uh, suicide rate that he was seeing in the service at the mm-hmm. time, and in fact called for a service-wide stand down, uh, you know, and, and ability to, for units to stop, really talk through, have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and as, as Chief Byrne Flint and I talked at that time, it was, okay, why would we only do this, you know, once? Um, I mean, you know, we think this is a great idea, but something not to be, not to be structured and provided to the field, but to afford the field the time and allow them to fill it with what their team felt they needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how they wanted to bond, step away, you, you know, have that time together. Kind of out, decompress a little bit? Absolutely, outside of the office. Get mm-hmm. to know each other a little yeah. bit better. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we came up with, and, and really, uh, you know, I, I give all the credit to Chief Byrne Flint on this one for, you know, developing our 300, DO 300, which right, you know, really, right. really harkened back to General Goldfein's referencing us as his, you know, his Spartans at the gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and that, that small but mighty force uh, that, you know, that, that um, at that time was working throughout the, you know, the AOR in the Middle East. Right. Uh, but then as he became the chief of staff of the Air Force, really saw that on a global scale. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that, that really captures the program. And so w- what we, you know, tried to do is, is go back and say, hey, um, you know, field leaders, you know, know that we are, you know, um, blessing you uh, to take those four to eight hours uh, a month um, yeah. and execute on that. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, invite speakers in. Uh, you know, step away and go to an event, uh, step away and go to an activity, um, but really turning it over to them. And so now, you know, to reach this point, and as, as Chief Gao and I travel and, and meet the field, one of the first slides that typically goes up at, at every detachment visit <laughs> is, you know, a, a montage of the, uh, you know, DO 300 events that they've done. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just, to, you know, to demonstrate this is how we're getting out. And we enjoy that because then it gives Chief and I the opportunity to really tell them that this program, we have our uh, uh, OSI integrated resiliency team, mm-hmm. uh, you know, really designed for those professionals to come and work. DO 300 was really, uh, really designed for almost that, that peer-to-peer engagement. Yeah. Um, and telling, you know, and communicating to them, look, we put extreme value in the health of our units in being able to execute the mission. Mm-hmm. Part of that is knowing each other. Part of that is understanding each other um, and knowing when each other are doing well, when, you know, when that engine is running, running perfectly. Right. Uh, but then also being able to recognize in each other when it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also having the bonds that even if I can do a good job of hiding that, uh, I am far more comfortable approaching my peer and, and maybe telling them that I'm struggling. Right. And so one of the things we really used to reinforce that is, uh, you know, very doubtful that, um, you know, a, a, a member of the command in the field is going to be in a bad point and pick up the phone and call me uh, or call Chief Gal or, mm-hmm. or call their region commander. Um uh, or call their region chief. There's somebody there for them. Exactly. They are far more likely to reach out to their peer, um, someone they know cares about them, someone who knows them, someone that they have shared time with, 
uh, whether that be in the mission or, or outside of it. Um, and that's the critical communication we want to happen, mm -hmm. the environment that we want each of these units to have so that when those tough times come, you will reach out uh, to somebody. If it's a peer, great. If it's one of the providers, wonderful. If it's to the chaplain, fantastic. Uh, but the, there are multiple routes here. So that's why DO300 is, is so important within the command um, and why it's been a, you know, a lot of fun to watch units take it, make it theirs, make it far more or far better than, than anything we envisioned up front. Uh, and something that I hope they will, uh, you know, it will, um, you know, just become a, a way of doing business for us. Very, very well said. Now, uh, General, a couple of initiatives that uh, may be foreign to those listening uh, to this uh, program uh, are Spartan Ace and Spartan Citadel. Could you briefly explain those initiatives? Because I know the, of, of late they've really gotten uh, quite a bit of traction. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, again, just been, you know, phenomenal to, to watch, you know, members of the command take these principles and move them forward. So uh, as we looked at in, in you know, uh, really 2019, the, the amount of strategic guidance that we were getting uh, that told us um, that we as a nation, really, uh, but certainly we as, uh, you know, a military, uh, as a national security component had to make that gear change from over 20 years of, you know, countering extremism globally uh, to now getting back into uh, peer and near-peer competition. Mm -hmm. You know, recognizing the fact that, you know, other nations, um, uh, namely, you know, Russia and China, right. uh, had, had emerged as, you know, as, as principal uh, threats or, or nations of concern, mm -hmm. uh, but certainly that an ongoing state of competition uh, existed, uh, you know, with them uh, and, you know, and nations in the, you know, that, that make up in general the West. Let's right. Say. So for us in the command, we knew that we needed to lean into that turn hard. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you think about the, the major touch points, um, as we sat and talked with then Secretary of the Air Force Heather Wilson and General Golfing, mm -hmm. uh, Chief of Staff, um, their concerns, uh, you know, for their, uh, you know, uh, federal law enforcement counterintelligence service, OSI, right. uh, was how are we going to, you know, work to be, uh, to counter the threat to our, uh, you know, national security innovation base, our emerging critical technologies, um, our need to move from traditional acquisition to rapid acquisition, um, you know, how are we going to build the protection around this mm -hmm. to make sure we are preserving every bit of that, um, uh, that advantage right, that, that, right. We, that we gain from those capabilities? Um, and so that really uh, was captured and became uh, OSI's approach to that technology protection and, and rapid acquisition in the form of Spartan Citadel. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that incorporated, uh, you know, our long-running uh, special projects uh, directorate right. who have just done incredible work throughout the command's history. It required us to open new detachments um, in the form of uh, national security detachments to get closer to these areas of innovation, mm -hmm. um, you know, emerging tech, um, 
uh, you know, acquisition practice as, as we were moving to in the force, mm-hmm. uh, so that we could get experienced, uh, you know, agent and analyst personnel closer to those environments and working within them, right. and then just changing uh, our detachments focus uh, and making sure that they were incorporating in their counterintelligence programs those. Um, uh, clear defense contractors, those innovators that are, you know, outside of their base in the environment, and just making sure they knew that we were there, we were aware, that Mm -hmm. we were engaged with them. Uh, And then coupling all of this together um, at the OSI Center as the mission managers for this. So that took took care of that part of the continuum of competition. Mm On the other side of that, of course, is is the thing that you know none of us want, but of course we exist to prepare for, and that is being ready for crisis and conflict. Right. Uh, and, and in General Goldfein's mind, his comment to uh, you know to me at the time was, you know, Terry, I know exactly you know what OSI did for us, uh, meaning the Air Force and the Joint Force and the Coalition Force, yeah. um, in Iraq and Afghanistan in a counterinsurgency environment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I want you to do that same thing, but I want you to project it globally, and I want you to evolve it into, um, you know, into this new threat context. Mm-hmm. And so thinking through that is really how we emerged with Spartan ACE. Um, and that is the complement of um, the agents who will, you know, marry with um, those forces that would, you know, would deploy. Uh, and we'll be practicing, you know, how we do that, of course, to get better and better and better. But then it also included the forward positioning uh, of more of our agent force and intelligence specialist force um, to make sure that we were partnering um, at at the maximum level possible, that we were truly uh, becoming, you know, closer partners uh, with those nations that would that would find themselves involved in these possible crisis moments, conflict moments, um, uh, and in and not only strengthening those partnerships, uh, but to begin but to get begin to promote interoperability, mm-hmm. uh, and to make sure that you know if when and if times get tough, uh, that we already have those relationships. We have already been hopefully you know engaged with each other for years at that point know each other at the uh, individual level and know each other at the agency level Mm -hmm. so i tell agents now don't think about these two programs as two different silos of osi support they are actually two points on the on that continuum of competition uh, where osi was asked to apply our very unique and special skill set uh, to these problem areas that were plaguing or could plague uh, the Department of the Air Force and the Joint Force and a coalition force in mm-hmm. the future. I see. Uh, again, you led very well into that. <laughs> the next question, as far as uh, you know, given all that background, uh, how are things going with the review of the Command Spartan Ace concept of operations? Absolutely. So. Uh, one of the things that, of course, uh, that I'm, I'm proud of, but then, of course, you've got to compensate for is we started thinking about Spartan Ace. We started thinking about OSI in the competition crisis conflict environment mm-hmm. uh, really in 2019. 
uh, with some very initial thought process, um, how we wanted to pursue it, what we wanted to uh, you know, go after, uh, and really went all in with an initial concept of operations, right. uh, which was very broad, very basic, um, but began to capture and start the start the discussion. If you and, and I would imagine it had to be flexible depending on situational or, or world situations at the absolutely, time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, we had to be assured uh, that uh, just because we had had some conversations with senior leadership that we were actually going to be able to get the resources mm. to do this. Uh, because certainly to have the concept is one thing, <laughs> to have the material need resources the tools. exactly <laughs> you know, to be able to do it. Right. And in fact, uh, Secretary Wilson and General Goldfein on both of those fronts made good on that. And, and so then as the resource piece began to fill out, it then allowed us to be able to think even more deeply about Spartan Ace, about how we were going to do this, mm -hmm. and then introduce the uh, new way that the Air Force intends to present forces to the Joint Force, uh, AFRGEN, you know, the new force generation right. model. Um, you know, all of these things began to emerge. Well, I, I'd like to say I'm, I'm proud of the fact that the command was so far ahead uh, that then we found ourselves literally having to incorporate all of this thought and what we were doing kind of back into now the Air Force's model that was maturing along mm -hmm. the way. And so what's that dri what, what has driven that recent driven us recently um, uh, to the point of needing to now take that very basic first concept of operation and now more fully flesh that out. So mm -hmm. that's what's going on uh, right now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that, you know, in the, in the April, early May time frame, you know, we'll be able to, uh, you know, take a look at, you know, what I think what we're affectionately calling, um, you know, uh, Spartan Ace 2.0, uh, okay. you, you know, the, what the new con op will look like right. uh, that will be so much deeper, so much more richly thought through, have so much more of the nuance added in and, and begin to give us something to help us communicate with the rest of the Air Force and, you know, what, what do we bring to the fight? Mm -hmm. uh, and how do we see that playing out right now? So lots of things going on around the command informing that. Um, uh, agents participating with, uh, you know, deploying wings. Uh, lots of lessons learned coming back from that. Um, OSI for the uh, really kind of the, the first time in, a, in, in certainly in recent memory being included in the, the Air Force's uh, future games uh, and fleshing out a couple of concepts there, mm -hmm. which are normally preserved for, you know, of course, big movements and, you know, more right, traditional right. Uh, combat arms. But it brings OSI arms. to the table. It does, and, and got us into that discussion and actually helped us validate some concepts mm -hmm. that then, you know, will then further, you know, potential other resourcing discussions, things of that nature. Right. So it, it just, you know, very healthy dialogue. Uh, but I think General Brown put it best when he talks about um, ACE and AFORGEN at the departmental level, at the Air Force level, uh, when he says that this will, you know, it, it will never be finished. It will be iterative. We will continue to evolve it, mm -hmm. um, you know, refine it, uh, and then we will evolve it again and refine that. I see the same thing here. Um, but great to see that the, the basic legwork is done, the basic foundation is laid, 
uh, and that will allow the command to, you know, to, to flex and be agile as we join the Air Force and evolving and refining those concepts. Once again, great way to lead into the next question, General. How is the OSI Air Force uh, Force Generation an area of responsibility posturing going? And that really gets to that specific discussion yeah. now. Um, and, and I would say it's going well. And, and I say it's going well because the right people um, uh, in the department are talking, meaning we've got a great team here uh, at headquarters who, of course, are informed by our um, field units on you know what the initial model in force generation is telling us we would have to do mm-hmm. um, they are then taking that of course realizing that our mission is very unique that we are based very differently uh, that being a global agency uh, you know we have presence where other capability does not mm-hmm. um, and so that really fits into that area of responsibility piece of that is now it's it's really pulling the threads together of you know how the air force will generate forces and how osi has already postured globally to be ready for that at any time sure um and sees itself every day as getting ready mm-hmm. so you know we've got a lot of work to do in that area um you know as the, as the air force certainly as i say uh, you know uh, evolves and refine their position as well uh, what I will say is uh, I love the fact that the team here at headquarters, informed by the field, is talking to the right uh, elements within the Air Force operations community um, to get us to an absolutely healthy place. Very well said. Uh, sir, you're talking about, a, you talk, I think you mentioned the word threads before. What's in store for one of the threads, meaning the insider threat and behavioral threat mm-hmm. assessment teams? Mm-hmm. Uh, that I know is a very, uh, uh, very, very high on the, the priority list uh, within OSI. Absolutely, and so another one of these areas where we've talked about, you know, the uh, evolution of the command, if you will, um, was in parallel with this new strategic, um, you know, national security strategy, national defense strategy in you know the 2018-2019 time frame that then of course has been you know evolved into a, mm-hmm. a, a newer mm-hmm. version sure. uh, that we have now is the ongoing evolution um, of law enforcement um, you know federal law enforcement um, you know law enforcement as it's practiced writ large um, I would say not only in the United States but globally mm. Um, and the expectation that we will continue, as we have now, uh, you know, certainly in, in my time uh, in coming in and just watching how you know, we embrace uh, the social sciences, we embrace the hard sciences, you know, to better inform what does it mean to be an effective law enforcement organization mm-hmm. for the population that you serve and protect. Um, right. Certainly that's been a national discussion. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, in, in what that means. Uh, but for us, uh, one of the things that we really gravitated toward is the expectation that we will not only be a, you know, a law enforcement response capability, that we really needed to look at, um, you know, what we have on the social science side, what we have on that hard science side that allows us to become more proactive. Uh, allows us to get to, you know, the the left of an event, right? Um, right. You, you know, and and that event, you know, could be the the threat of espionage. Mm-hmm. It could be the threat of um, emerging violence. Uh, it could be an individual on the pathway to violence. Right. 
Um, I even extrapolated to, you know, getting, uh, using the capabilities and data and other things to detect uh, potential fraudulent activity hmm. at a far earlier point uh, than, than perhaps we could before, yeah. just by looking at, you know, behavioral indicators um, in, in how a, uh, you know, a contract is being let, how a bid is being placed. Um, and I would say that is not, um, uh, it's not science fiction anymore. <laughs> um, it is an expectation. It yeah. really is an expectation yeah. of, I think, the American people uh, that, you know, we will have the ability to head things off before the tragedy happens. Certainly not every single time. Uh, but when we have the opportunity to do so, we will. And so we really look at the, you know, our uh, threat response division uh, at the center, uh, our insider threat branch mm -hmm. here, uh, and our, you know, behavioral uh, threat assessment cell right. um, as components to do exactly that, to empower the field with advanced information that could be coming in uh, you know, uh, in, in a more traditional way like a phone call uh, and maybe a more modern way via social media. Um, to improve anticipation. Absolutely. Yeah. To be able to act quickly to say, you know, this person, you know, has, you know, just posted uh, that they are, you know, in a bad place and contemplating self-harm. Right. Well, it, you know, we are one of the agencies who are best postured. That may not be a, a crime per se, but because of our authorities and because of how we are built, do we have the ability uh, to get that first sergeant or uh, first level commander or supervisor at the door of mm -hmm. that individual as quickly as possible before they make that ultimate decision? Yeah. And in fact, we do. And, and we have uh, been able to do those things. Um, and so for every person that we lose, I mean, it is, it is a tragedy, mm -hmm. but I think we're always thinking through, you know, how do we, you know, how do we posture ourselves to get in front of that? Yeah. How do we see the indicators at the earliest point that someone could be turning to or contemplating espionage? Yeah. Um, you know, how do we find that? How do we see that someone is on the pathway, as we say, the pathway to violence, uh, to carrying out um, an active shooter situation, uh, you know, or an act of violence, uh, you know, a, against a, a family member or someone. Mm -hmm. And what are we doing, maybe not directly as OSI, but to get the right leadership, the right helping agencies in there faster uh, to be able to get ahead of that. So when we talk about things like, you know, insider threat and, and the BTAC and the threat response uh, division, those are the things that I'm very proud of because it's putting the command on a footing uh, in as many cases and where possible to get ahead of things uh, before we are unfortunately, you know, having to investigate the aftermath. I know in the civilian sector, uh, you know, the, the watchword sometimes is if you see something, say something. Yes. So uh, I would imagine, uh, is it fair to say that uh, OSI you know, really follows that kind of a, uh, a game plan down the road as well. Every because you have to anticipate, if you see something, that may not be kosher, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, and, I, and, you know, sadly, I think what we find in some of these that have come to fruition, have reached that point, uh, that when we talk to people, and sometimes it's hindsight, but they, but, 
you know, almost invariably what you run into is, yes, I did see a behavioral change. Yes, mm-hmm. I did see, you know, this did seem odd to me. This, this did seem different. And so, you know, I think it is that, you know, that speak up capability. So, you know, our, it can come in from our controllers receiving a call on our, you know, tip line here. Yeah, like yeah, I say, yeah. the, 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 you know, ability to engage with, with social media um, and, and have, you know, uh, have the ability to know in those platforms when, uh, when something just isn't in a good spot with an individual. Um, you know, but to be able to then act on that, again, not necessarily from a law enforcement perspective, mm-hmm. but for us to be able to get that information into the hands of those who can intervene at an earlier point. Um, and every one of those that I, that I get briefed on from the, you know, from the, the center team here is just a, you know, a, a huge win. Sure. Now, uh, General, how well is OSI meshing with the Department of the Air Force by following its lines of effort to reach objectives? Absolutely. So I will tell you an hour, you know, um, so that 2019, you know, real realization that we had to make that turn, uh, that we had to evolve. And, and, and we've always argued we have to evolve ahead of the Air Force. We have to be there when the Air Force gets right. there. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, understanding that we, you know, we issued, uh, you know, that first vision in the 2019 OSI we need. Right, right. Uh, And that became, you know, a guiding document for the areas where we wanted to request resources, where we wanted to grow, Spartan Citadel, Spartan Ace, preventative measures, things, you know, protective service. All under a strategic plan umbrella. Absolutely. So once we, you know, were able to really, I think, uh, um, successfully sell this vision uh, to the Department of the Air Force as well as the Air Force and then the emerging Space Force as well um, and begin to get the resourcing behind it, that became uh, OSI's 2021 command strategy. Mm -hmm. So the OSI we need became the commander's intent for that strategy. And so we as a leadership team, of course, informed then by the senior leadership across the command, um, you know, our specialists all took part in formulating this 2021 strategy that we've operated under, you know, since putting that in place. It incorporates the same big planks, if you will, Mm -hmm. uh, of the OSI we need. But every bit of that guidance, the, the lines of effort that are within that 2021 strategy, the initial thought that emerged in the OSI we need prior to that is all nested in the department's strategic vision for the future, uh, in both the Air Force and Space Force's strategic guidance for the future. Uh, and so we really used that strategic guidance to inform both the OSI we need in 2019 and then the 2021 uh, command strategy mm-hmm. to make sure that we stayed in lockstep uh, right. with our department and that, you know, we were not taking off and progressing in one direction as the department and the Air Force and Space Force were moving in another. Yeah. We really sequenced that strategy to make sure we stayed very linked uh, with their, their strategic objectives. Mm-hmm. Sir, moving on, uh, what's the latest on the protective services operations enterprise within the command? I know uh, uh, that that uh, uh, part of OSI burns and turns all the time. They, 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 <laughs> yes, they, they keep do. moving. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, you know, and, and we, you know, we talk about that and uh, the, the way I, uh, in fact, uh, we, we, you know, uh, just recently uh, were down facilitating a uh, you know, graduation for our newest crop of, uh, 
uh, of young agents coming into the command. And one of the things I always enjoy doing there is we get to talk to their families and loved ones before the graduation mm-hmm. uh, and actually, you know, have, you know, exchange with them. Uh, and so the way we kind of talk to the families about this is to kind of grab from something everybody understands to say, well, among the many things that OSI does uh, for the department and for the Air Force and Space Force uh, is we really act as its secret service as well. Um, you know, not only for our, um, you know, most senior level leaders within the department, but for some of the uh, combatant command senior leadership mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is our portion of protecting uh, the Department of Defense. Right. So uh, historically, that had been an area that um, uh, was just not uh, funded very well. Uh, we did not have a lot of manpower, uh, you know, to put toward it, um, and we weren't using a team composition approach that um, uh, some of our other fellow MCIOs were using, mm-hmm. of you know, not only uh, OSI agents but security forces personnel as well. Uh, and so, you know, again, very blessed that the uh, department in the, in the OSI we need uh, absolutely accepted the fact that we needed to get to a much better place in this. We needed to, you know, number one, standardize the size of our teams and get the, get the composition of those teams right, meaning uh, those are, you know, agent-led um, with agent personnel, uh, but then the majority of those ranks are made out by security forces defenders who are mm-hmm. assigned to us and that we train for that tour, uh, and are just exceptional, uh, just absolutely a major partnership partners. there. Yes, I mean a huge point of, I think of pride for OSI and security forces, uh, and how we come together, you know, form a team uh, to do a very important, very critical job. And so, you know, getting the, the appropriate uh, billing and manpower uh, to make that happen uh, was, was, was critical. The second step was unifying these details under one single leadership team. Uh, and so we were able to accomplish that uh, and put a, you know, a vast majority uh, of our details uh, underneath the first field investigation squadron mm-hmm. uh, at the OSI Center. Yeah. And so this really created a, um, you know, a unity of command and a unity of effort um, and helped to really standardize those details where it, it had been very, it had been executed in a very different way in, in other pockets around the command. And mm-hmm. so that was an important uh, point, uh, you know, along the way. Uh, I think the other critical thing then uh, that, that we've been able to accomplish more recently is then nailing down, uh, you know, standard training, not, not only initial training, which I think we've always done very well, um, but how do we keep teams ready? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we make sure that we are constantly honing and practicing those skills that are necessary to be ready to go, um, you know, when a threat presents itself, whatever that may be? You know, will that reaction be muscle memory? Right. Will it be something that we, you know, we automatically lean in and do uh, without thinking about it? And that only comes with repetition. It only comes with keeping those skills fresh. So mm-hmm. very excited to see those standards roll out um, and that, you know, teams will now have a, a common training plan, common core skills that they will exercise and do. And then finally, uh, making sure that we had an oversight mechanism, meaning how do we ensure that our teams are ready. Uh, 
Um, how do we do that external inspection and oversight that comes in, takes a look and says, hey, we're knocking it out of the park and doing a great job here, here, and here. Um, but uh, we noted some areas of improvement and here's where we would like your training uh, you know, to be a little more in depth uh, going forward. This is an area that this particular team needs to work on. So, uh, you know, just got that codified, just starting to, you know, move that into instruction. And so we'll deliver that to the squadron who will then uh, be able to execute that and do that as well. So just to see where we've come uh, since 2019 and, and what those details are doing now from a resourcing perspective, uh, you know, to moving under one, one leadership chain, uh, and now, you know, being able to turn to future OSI commanders, future OSI center mm -hmm. commanders and say, we can tell you that these teams are ready to perform when and if the time comes. I have to harken back uh, to a few years ago, I wrote a story on uh, uh, protective service operations. And in my lead, I said something like, there's much more to that job than the characteristic sunglasses. Absolutely. So, <laughs> So, so, so much I, more. So, uh, so thank you for uh, bringing all those details to light, General. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, um, uh, next up, uh, how about OSI Records, Investigations, and Operations Network, also known as Orion? I know that uh, uh, a lot of moving parts uh, involved in that initiative yes, as well. Yes, yes. So this has been, you know, another one of those, uh, um, you know, much like the weapons, I would classify as a, a long labor of love, you know, and that is... Uh, uh, that need to finally graduate from our current case management system, uh, the I2MS mm -hmm. system, uh, to, you know, to a new case management system that afforded a lot more opportunity for capability, for efficiency. Um, and so that was really the starting point, um, I, I would say, the, the um, uh, the, the, the idea being born for Orion. Mm -hmm. uh, and so incredibly proud of how the team uh, took to this, researched, um, really looked at how other programs had been successful in case management, other programs had not been successful and failed uh, in finding you know, the right platform to develop it on, the right way to do that, that would allow us to be agile and move quickly in those improvements. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been phenomenal to see the talent in this command and the talent that we were able to partner with uh, to bring ourselves to the point now that we have a system ready to go. Uh, I will tell you it was also a lesson um, <laughs> in uh, how to then navigate uh, the bureaucracy um, in place to make sure that something can reside on networks, that it is you know, approved, that we go through mm -hmm. those, those areas. Um, and so while we've had that, that uh, you know, uh, minimal viable product ready to go for a while, uh, it's really been navigating the things to get it onto the network, to get it into the cloud, um, in this case, Cloud One, um, it, you know, and, and have it ready to go. So we finally reached that point. We finally got through mm -hmm. and got our, uh, our ATO, our authority uh, to operate. Um, and so now we stand at the point of as we're pulling the string on some final um, um, data sets that will feed the case management system, we're ready to put it in the hands of some agents and take it for a test drive. So mm -hmm. uh, Region 1, uh, our uh, Air Force Materiel Command uh, wing, 
um, has, you know, uh, uh, stepped up and said they were willing to take the charge and take it on. Uh, so um, right now uh, we are scheduled for March 6th, uh, a rollout. Um, Very good. Uh, of that at two of their detachments. Mm -hmm. um, their headquarters element, uh, personnel here at headquarters and the OSI center will flip the switch, turn it on and begin to load uh, the first cases into that system. Wow. Um, and then what I'm really excited about is of course knowing that we didn't get it at, you know, exactly right, <laughs> is that the agents will take it and take it for a test bin. And they will then come back and tell us, well, hey, can we change this? Can we move this around? Uh, you know, can we empower it with this? Can we do those things? Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that we've designed this is to be able to, in most of these cases, make those changes fairly quickly um, and evolve the system. And then if we're doing well at that point and a couple of these data sets fall in uh, into the system, then we will open it up to a few more units uh, within Region 1 and then get on an every two-week schedule. Mm -hmm. um, again, obtaining feedback all the way, you know, and beginning to understand the system better and better. But here's what I'm really excited about, Wayne, is okay. that um, we're developing Orion. Uh, security Forces uh, has come in and decided that they are going to join the effort and build a parallel system, which is uh, actually ongoing now, mm -hmm. Uh, that mirrors Orion, but of course is built to their specifications, their capability. But the exciting part here is we will finally have the two law enforcement agencies within the Department of the Air Force with systems that can talk to each other, wow. that can facilitate data, uh, you know, uh, transfer. Um, the department can ask one question about one kind of offense, and we should be able to query the systems and come to you know, one joint system. It seems like something like that would be almost a, a matter of course. I mean, it's very logical to do it, it that it way. It is, and, and, and I would say, I think while it no doubt was a dream historically, um, we just didn't have, you know, the capability, we just didn't have the, you know, the ability to do those things, uh, you know, that we do now. Um, and so I'm very excited about that. Uh, and then also excited that at the time we started to generate our new system, the Air Force Judge Advocate Corps began to transition their new case management system. Mm. So from the very beginning, using a common platform, uh, our teams have been working each other, again, with the vision that we will be able to have these systems connect uh, and talk with each other um, and so the ability then for the entire Air Force's military justice system to be able to move that information within a, uh, a system of, of like-minded case management systems uh, is extremely exciting. And so many things that we do now that are inefficient, um, you know, less than accurate, um, it, you know, that just, just take up agent uh, and judge advocate and defender time yeah. uh, will no longer do that because, you know, the systems will be able to facilitate that in a digital sense. And then one day, one day, um, the idea will be whether it's, you know, whether it's using an existing capability within the Air Force, generating our own, uh, is to eventually enable this with AI. And then imagine a system that is not just managing your data, 
not just managing your case, but enabling it, uh, yeah. anticipating, um, you know, able to pull different data threads or see a data thread emerge in another case somewhere and make that, you know, make that person, make another office, another person aware that that is opened up and, and has that. And I think that's the potential that Orion holds. Certainly it won't be what rolls out on right, March right. 6th. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, uh, you know, crawl, walk, run analogy. Right, right. And so we've got to crawl right. uh, and knock some of these down. But I think the potential that this holds for the Department of the Air Force to do law enforcement and our military justice system in a completely different way um, is there uh, and we're, we're postured to seize it. And uh, again, leading into my next question, uh, that obviously was, is, is born out of a great partnership with those three organizations. Absolutely. So what is the status of OSI partner engagements and partnerships uh, and where do you see them going? Yeah. So I, another kind of uh, early on effort was recognizing that, uh, you know, for our 75-year history, yeah. um, you know, we have been a small agency. Happy birthday, by the way. Uh, I was about to say, <laughs> I'd say it's fantastic, absolutely fantastic to see us rounding the corner and, uh, and, and heading in that direction. It's a young-looking 75. Uh, I was about to say, young-looking 75. Uh, many more to come. Um, well, plenty of partnerships within those years. And that's it. And, and I think from our earliest point, you know, it has been in the organization's DNA that because we are small, uh, we are stretched globally, our supported population is on base and off base, not only in you know garrison and continental United States environments, but overseas as well, that it was only natural that we would have to partner. And, and so we've grown up that way. Mm -hmm. And you know, I certainly have within the organization. Uh, you know, my earliest cases were you know with the you know jointly off base with the Kern County Sheriff's Office. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, and, and doing that. Uh, uh, you know, doing that type of work and being a part of the greater law enforcement environment and family. And then certainly that same side on within the intelligence community, you know, working with our, you know, uh, mm -hmm. counterparts in that area. And then, of course, overseas. Um, you know, how exciting it always was for me as a detachment commander in the UK to work cases with local constabularies and with, you know, national level sure. entities there in the UK. Just absolutely wonderful. But I think recognizing that you know, while we were great at, at seizing on those relationships in a local context, um, the where we needed to get to for the future uh, was really taking those partnerships to a truly strategic level for the command, truly marrying up our relationships to operational opportunities, not just in those local contexts, mm -hmm. uh, but globally. Uh, you know, and being able to utilize a great relationship that we have in Europe uh, to benefit Air Force operations in the Pacific. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to take something in Africa uh, and be able to use it to the benefit of operations in the Middle East. Um, and that's where it was very hard because here at the headquarters level up until 2019, we had one person doing strategic engagements and so wow. it was hard enough for that one person to keep up <laughs> with the command section here right, right. Um, so we developed the um, directorate of uh, strategic partnerships um, and that office has just grown and blossomed um, and is uh, you know facilitating relationships with our you know um, international colleagues here in the NCR 
making those relations relevant to our you know offices globally in the field. Uh, they are tying us closer together domestically um, with our federal law enforcement counterparts, um, you know, FBI, uh, DHS, um, you know, Treasury, you name it. Um, you know, really, you know, now emphasizing that we have to draw ourselves even closer together as sure. interagency partners uh, in this world and in this environment, you know, in, in which we operate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, now starting to take advantage of those and then some of the uh, international organizations, um, you know, beginning to better capitalize on those. So the International Association of Chiefs of Police, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, Interpol, uh, you know, uh, places where we've, you know, we've, we've had touch points, we've had great, you know, sparks of success. Right. Uh, but not just routinely plugged in with personnel based there, stationed there, you know, constantly engaging and working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what the strategic partnership, uh, you know, directorate is now, you know, taking us to and is now allowing us to connect those relationships, both established and emerging, uh, with operational needs, uh, you know, at an early point. Um, and really allowing us to, you know, um, exponentially uh, increase the chance that those things are going to be successful. Right. Now, staying on that big picture uh, uh, scenario, sir, uh, how is OSI developing in concert with uh, Department of the Air Force, uh, Department of the Air Force, I should say, overall efforts and vision? Uh, and, I, and I think back to, you know, kind of back to our previous discussion, uh, I'm, you know, I'm watching uh, the, you know, the Air Force, um, you know, do exactly some of the same things. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, so we talk about the criticality of partners and allies and interoperability. We talk, we talk about, you know, in increasing efficiency and effectiveness, um, you know, to, to take on challenges, um, you know, and, and we talk about taking care of our people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and thinking about new ways that we do talent management, uh, you know, and respect and care for, you know, the force that we have. Just all of these touch points that we are working through as a command, I am watching the department and the Air Force and the Space Force work through the same issues. The same Must be gratifying, though, OSI is leading the way on these well, things. And it is. Yeah. It's, you know, it's absolutely wonderful. And it, I think as, as, you know, senior leaders, it's also reinforcing that we're not going in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, that, you know, we've made good sound uh, decisions um, because we've invested blood, sweat, tears, uh, you know, resource dollars, personnel into some of these ventures. Right. And so you, you, you always lean into those, you know, with a, with a, a good sense of, of confidence, but, you know, always wondering what the next year, what the next two years will bring. Mm-hmm. So uh, to see us in lockstep, uh, you know, with those we are, uh, you know, charged to protect and serve. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's really gratifying. Very good. Uh, sir, what's the latest on uh, developing and distributing OSI intelligence specialists in the command? Getting a little bit more specifically for that uh, area uh, now. Absolutely. So, in, in, and I'll tell you, this has been another area where, um, you know, starting in, in 2019, we just realized we, you know, our intelligence specialists uh, who provide the critical analysis behind what we do in all of our mission sets. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just not as robustly manned as we needed, and and those those few incredibly talented people we you know we had were 
you know, giving it all they had and, you know, leaving, uh, you know, leaving a lot that they would still want to do. And so one of the things we made a very concerted effort um, uh, in applying in the OSI we need and then to the 2021 strategy uh, was really the growth um, and refinement of our intelligence specialist core, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, not just in size, uh, but in, in beginning to think through how do we develop um, our intelligence specialist? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I bring a young intelligence specialist into the command and how do, you know, uh, she or he see themselves uh, you know, after 15, 20 years with the organization, do they do they see a point that they can rise to, a, you know, a level of subject matter expertise that yeah, they want to yeah. achieve? Mm-hmm. And do they also see variety within their career? Do they see the opportunity to not only serve at headquarters, but in the field, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps on an outside assignment, um, you know, with a, an international partner, international organization, you know, and then back again? How do we grow uh, that you know these uh, these individuals that yeah. we are, are blessed to have, and so we really focused on that, um, and then all of us growing up. Uh, I think uh, most of the senior leadership and uh, mid level leadership in the command growing up um, in the Middle East, in Iraq and Afghanistan, where we were blessed with intelligence specialists at the most tactical level. And so all of us were informed by that to show just how much they enable an operation uh, or enable, you know, the agency's ability to get at things at the strategic level, at the operational level, at the tactical level. And so very consciously deciding that with this growth would not be a hoarding of that capability at the headquarters and OSI center level. Uh but kind of you know, share the wealth a little bit absolutely yeah. and, and pushing that capability out to the regions uh, to more robustly round out their staffs moving those out to those national security detachments that we talked about under spartan citadel mm-hmm. getting those uh, intelligence specialists into those ecosystems um, to then work side by side with the agent force you know to to generate better better pictures and then Thinking about when we established LNO's uh, liaison officers with agencies, why did those always have to be agents, you know, whether military or civilian? Um, sometimes it's our intelligence specialist. Yeah. We're actually the better LNO to that organization, uh, you know, because of you know what we're looking to achieve there, what we're looking to get from that partnership. Um, so that really drove, I think, a you know, is to finally be able to decentralize that analytical capability, which then, of course, created those paths for a variety of experiences to eventually grow those senior intelligence specialists who will then occupy the you know occupy the the highest positions within the command. One day. Wow. Very valuable uh, people, no doubt about that. Yes, uh, I'd like to combine the next couple of questions if I can, mm-hmm. sir. Um, under the umbrella of uh, the OSI Future Cell and, and, and its focus, um, how has uh, OSI Lessons Learned or the L2 Office contributed to the command's focus, and how does the Command Efficiency Officer work in concert with that L2 mission? Absolutely. So, so three great uh, initiatives <laughs> that, that I hope will uh, just continue along their way. But they so do work in, in concert with each other. They do. They, they do. Uh, you know, are naturally complementary to each other, um, but then also, you know, strive and in their own areas and own mm-hmm. right as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, with the Futures cell, um, you know, we were really looking for a place 
where we could build a capability for you know for a cadre um, you know of thinkers to be you know not considering tomorrow, not considering next year, uh, maybe not even considering two years from now, uh, but thinking about where we need to be in five years, where we need to be in ten years. Um, you know, what are the what are what is the policy the the emerging policy doctrine? technology that that might inform what that looks like uh, five to ten years down the road uh, and so that capability kind of the the first project if you will uh, was the evolution of the um, uh, Spartan ace conop 2.0 mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah because very fledgling very small right now um, in our uh, lessons learned directorate um, so much rigor and discipline brought to something that the command has, has really tried to you know to, to work and to have and to establish and, and was the vision of uh, of several very thoughtful leaders along the way but mm-hmm. you know now we see that maturing and again becomes very important in collecting the lessons learned and again going back to that Spartan ace example of getting the after action reports and pulling those things together uh, that then informs okay well here's what we think is happening in the field what is actually? happening in the field Mm -hmm. and how do we use those lessons to improve the next time we go to improve the concept of operations and then finally is the commands um, you know efficiency effort Uh, and this is really uh, you know forward-looking but also looking at today Um, and looking at how are we doing business now um, and how do we do it better how do we do it faster? How do we return, uh, you know, uh, hours in a day uh, to the workforce to be able to, you know, apply to the core mission area uh, and perhaps not to tasks that are distracting right. uh, or programs that are redundant um, or in some cases stopping doing things. Um, Just you know, cold turkey, exactly, don't do it. Exactly, okay. to, you know, to recapitalize and, yeah. and do those things. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I think those three efforts, you know, looking into the future, looking at what we're doing today, and then learning from the actions that are happening around us um, and synthesizing those and doing that in a way that it just makes us better every single year um, and gets us ready for the future are, are absolutely critical. So, um, you know, three areas that we've, we've had the opportunity to innovate with, and uh, I hope we'll be able to continue to invest in in the future. So more to come. More to come. <laughs> Sir, uh, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, improvements and, and improving our folks, uh, what exactly is the headquarters level program manager course? So I tell you, this is one area that we, that we took a look at and, you know, an area that I think uh, future leaders, future senior leadership teams will, will definitely look at is how do we prepare our, you know, our force uh, to come from the field to headquarters to become program managers? Um, and oftentimes in the past, that just included bringing somebody in and saying, here's your desk, here's your chair, here's your program binder, <laughs> go. You know? And we yeah. know that there's so much more discipline, so much more you know, science behind um, you know, managing a program for mm-hmm. at the command level effectively. Um, the other area that impacts is change. Um, if I am not educated in really understanding what I can do within a program, I'm going to be less likely to take that risk or nominate that change, uh, you know, to senior leadership to do those things. 
So then it's the, the, the easier opportunity is just to default to no. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and not making that change and not doing it and, you know, and surviving your two to three, two, you know, your two at headquarters, you move on and nothing's evolved, changed, <laughs> right, progressed right. in that program. And we've lost time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is really our first effort. And, it, and it's evolving with each course uh, that, that's being run. But it's the command's first internal effort to thoughtfully invest in those individuals who are here now running programs, uh, you know, or ideally are tapped to come in to run programs, um, you know, to really give them that head start and really give them that basis uh, for how to run a program in the midst of change. Mm-hmm. And boy, have we had a lot of that. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I anticipate <laughs> no more, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, based on the times in which we live and, you know, battle rhythms speeding up and, and the need to evolve even quicker. Uh, so we've got to make sure we're giving our folks the tools, you know, to manage programs, not only for today, uh, but to manage them for tomorrow as well. There you go. Uh, general fraud has always been a major crime target on OSI's radar. How is the installation fraud working group contributing to combat uh, fraud? So it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch uh, this, this idea uh, that came about, which was the department's need to really kind of take the base level, um, um, you know, uh, uh, OSI who may be working to investigate that fraud, mm-hmm. uh, contracting entities who, of course, are, you know, uh, letting and monitoring those contracts under which, uh, you know, we might not be getting what we're paying for. Sure. Uh, civil engineers who were doing the inspections on things that mm-hmm. we're working through that, that might be the first to find or, you know, or pinpoint fraud. And then, of course, the legal component, those folks who were telling us, okay, what, you know, what is within bounds, what is outside of bounds, what do we have? Um, you know, for years, we had just been, uh, you know, as a command from an OSI perspective, we were just marching to the charge of, we want more fraud, we want more fraud, we want more fraud, <laughs> um, and not incorporating the other parts of the Air Force at the installation level all the way up through, you know, the most senior levels mm-hmm. to say that this is really a team sport. It's not an individual effort. Um, and so we uh, established the installation fraud working group with several, several of the key partners at the departmental level uh, to start facilitating those quarterly meetings of these entities to talk about ongoing issues, to use it as an educational opportunity, of course, a networking opportunity mm-hmm. to understand each other better, um, all with the design of being able to you know, detect fraud, um, not just at the point of investigating it, but really at the point of trying to get at it, again, getting to the you know, preventative yeah, piece yeah, yeah. of you know, intervening at the earliest point. Um, and sometimes it's just by having the right people in the room that we you know, make those connections and, and do those things. Wow. So we've invested time at the installation level. We as OSI took on the leadership role of that for the DAF. Um, you know, and then each individual region and each of their subordinate squadrons and detachments took on the responsibility of having those meetings on a quarterly basis, bringing those teams together uh, in hopes that we can better educate, um, you know, build better and stronger uh, base level relationships that ultimately will lead to identifying more potential fraud or outright fraud uh, occurring at that level. All righty. Moving to the Joint Base Enforcement Team, 
what's new on the JBET front? Yeah, so we've been up and running. We've had uh, you know uh, JBET uh, uh, 1.0, as we've been calling it for a while. Um, and again, for our uh, novice listeners, uh, uh, could you explain what uh, yeah. uh, JBET really is? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and this was, uh, I think this was the recognition that as we were evolving, you know, after that 2018, 2019 strategic guidance, mm-hmm. knowing we would have to move away from some things to facilitate more opportunity for our counterintelligence work, violent crime work. Sure. And that as our security forces partners were evolving, uh, you know, their um, ability to execute law enforcement uh, within their, you know, greater evolution toward air-based ground defense and what would that look like in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, myself and uh, Brigadier General Collins, uh, who was the, the Air Force's uh, top cop right. at the time, right. um, uh, really saw a concern that we might actually see seams get created between OSI and security forces, specifically security forces investigations mm-hmm. at the detachment le- or at the installation level. And so the joint base enforcement team was a new model, a new approach to ensure not necessarily a sharing of resources, but ensuring that we were partnering on those areas where we have natural overlap. Uh, so drug cases. Um, uh, at that time, uh, you know, uh, entitlement fraud issues, mm-hmm. paying allowance issues, yeah. things of that nature, um, where sometimes it, it could be security forces, sometimes it could be OSI, but how do we make sure there's no seam that it completely falls through and no one is addressing it? So that was the nexus point. So we, we launched that, we ran it, the field gave us great feedback um, that has allowed us to evolve it now. Uh, you know, so on the drug front, uh, you know, we're really kind of focusing on those drugs that, uh, you know, can be especially deadly uh, to the force. Um, and, you know, where that OSI resourcing is needed, operational activity in the narcotics world, mm. um, you know, which is really what we bring, you know, to that total fight. Right. Uh, and allowing security forces to work, you know, more of the possession issues, more of those who are found to be users of the drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really focusing on that area. Uh, I think the other area where we are seeing natural overlap is in the area of domestic violence and interpersonal violence. Um, certainly we're learning more and more about how these relationships can come to tragic uh, um, uh, conclusions. Right. Um, right. Uh, and, and some of those uh, earmarks of relationships that are on that path as opposed to maybe others that, that aren't quite yet, um, or may end on their own and the, the threat is neutralized that way. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, what we're finding is making sure that we are affording uh, victims in those cases to get to the right agency to investigate them at the earliest possible point, and then reassuring them uh, that we're they're in the right place and that we're you know going to run those cases. So. In getting that feedback from the field, we stepped back and said, "Okay, you know, let's let's evolve this into a 2.0 construct right. um, that allows you know this a little more freedom at the field. Let's evolve away from some of these lower dollar, uh, you know, theft and and uh, pay and entitlement issues that may be able to be taken care of administratively, mm-hmm. and let's focus on those areas where we're talking about potential harm, you know, sure. or or violence or worse." Yeah. 
yeah. um, you know, or systemic threats to the force in the form mm-hmm. of you know really you know drugs that may be a you know a one-use fatality mm-hmm. uh, type issue, and let's partner there. Uh, so that's in the process of being codified now and rolling out. So again, excited to see that hit the street. Very good. Sir, I'd like to kind of go back just a second, if I may, on uh, protective services operations. What can you share about uh, the PSO intelligence cell moving toward a joint model by sharing resources? Yeah. And so I think this is something that, you know, we uh, want to explore. I think the other uh, military uh, investigative uh, arms, uh, namely CID, NCIS, uh, that, that share that protective service mission, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the spirit of creating that more, uh, that fuller picture, if you will, of threats. Uh, one of the areas that, that I think the, you know, the command and those, uh, those agencies will be able to explore in the future um, is, is maybe an initial co-location. Uh, you know, of these uh, intelligence uh, entities, mm-hmm. uh, of our protective service intelligence specialists, those who specialize in the, you know, providing the intelligence uh, surrounding the protectees that we take care of. Right. You know, looking for those threats, um, uh, you know, issuing uh, investigative leads when, you know, threats are made, those type issues. Sure. Um, you know, well, we all three perform that mission. Uh, meaning ourselves, CID, NCIS for the department. Uh, and many times we wonder if, you know, one th- a threat to one principal could be a threat to all of them. Uh, so does that present the opportunity for sharing? Does it present the opportunity for co-location? Mm-hmm. Uh, better use of funds with some of the tools that we use in that practice? Um, kind of a more bang for the buck, I guess. A- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then just a better synergy. Of you know threat sharing, uh, you know among the uh, among the various uh, intelligence units that support each service's mm-hmm. uh, uh, operators. So I, I think it's something that you know is going to be worth exploring in the future. Something that I think all the directors are excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, just looking for the right opportunity. So uh, maybe not something I'll see. Um, <laughs> Uh, but that I think the, the conversation is well underway and something that I, I hope will be So the seed's been planted. Absolutely. Very good. Yeah. Uh, general cyber is always an involved subject. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Uh, just how is OSI's overall cyber strategy campaign progressing? So it's been wonderful. Uh, it's been really great to see. Uh, you know, so I appreciated our, our previous executive director and, uh, and Dr. Sunderbrook uh, you know, establishing the thought that the command really needed a thoughtful cyber strategy to pull all of the things that we do certainly you know when we when we say cyber it's a very general yeah. very broad <laughs> term that really now touches everything that we do you know there are very few criminal investigations fraud investigations counterintelligence matter that, that you know that don't have a device that's got to be analyzed email accounts that right. have to be evaluated right. you know system logs that need to be looked at um, you know we we laugh now we find ourselves you know, not only in, you know, interrogating doorbell cameras, but refrigerators <laughs> and cars and, you know, any sure. number of things yeah. that, that have computing capability. So, um, but then we're also operating in this space um, and, and have been for a long time exercising those, you know, law enforcement uh, authorities, counterintelligence authorities in the cyber domain. And so while we had these, you know, capabilities to forensically complement 
investigative activity, our, our uh, digital forensic consultants, our folks who you know focus on you know high tech crimes. Um, we were also looking at crimes committed in cyberspace, um, or you know defending ourselves against adversaries in cyberspace, mm -hmm. which of course is you know every other headline it seems you know every other day right. uh, is is another intrusion another and, and is that done for national security purposes is it done for criminal purposes um, all of that falls within her bailiwick so we really needed a comprehensive strategy that was that was capturing all of these points making sure that we were progressing and developing each of those points mm -hmm. and evolving those points to keep them relevant um, to keep the the latest technology or to push the latest policy read and practice to make sure we were exercising those authorities to the fullest capability possible, certainly within law and policy right, um, right. On, on how we get after it. And so our, our structure, uh, so that, that strategy is allowing us to move along those lines and monitor that progress. And uh, mm -hmm. I've been excited to see, you know, from, from growth in our digital forensic uh, consultant numbers, uh, to some of the exciting things that we're doing in the operational realm uh, in cyber. Um, it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Very, very good. Sir, my last hardball question of the day. Sure, okay. <laughs> uh, what's going on with the Department of the Air Force Criminal Justice Information Center? Yeah, so I will tell you... Um, That's pretty is, involved in itself. Uh, absolutely, and, and really, you know, we, we hearken back to... Uh, when, when I was the uh, vice commander here at OSI, and uh, unfortunately we had the tragedy in Sutherland Springs. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the mass shooting there that was, you know, of course, heartbreaking for everybody. Uh, but to learn that we, we uh, um, the Department of the Air Force and the law enforcement entities within the department um, had not indexed correctly, um, you know, that individual uh, with their appropriate criminal history and points was just, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, really, real tragic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, so from the, uh, so what, what was born from that uh, was a desire to bring together uh, the criminal justice um, information uh, cell um, and that initial partnering of security forces, the Judge Advocate Corps and OSI, all owners of different pieces of uh, you know criminal history, uh, criminal indexing mm -hmm. uh, requirements, and to bring that together into one comprehensive place, so to create a, uh, a, an entity uh, that could facilitate oversight, that had subject matter expertise, um, and then you know direct connection to the field uh, to allow us to uh, you know do this not only quickly but accurately, which is very important. Sure. Um, uh, and, and to get it right, and then to have a corrective mechanism, maybe when we have it gotten it quite right. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we, we made our initial steps at that. Well, that has grown. Uh, it has taken on capability. Now we have complementary technologies like our uh, digital fingerprinting stations, the emergence of Orion, and the you know the additional ability to have oversight, uh, you mm -hmm. know, down into field activity, uh, in nearly real time capability, uh, has really brought us to a point where it's time to evolve um, uh, the the DAPSEGIC. 
uh, and again, I, I know I, I keep throwing 2.0 around, but you know that's uh, uh, that, that's another kind of uh, you know saying that we've got is is taking the uh, the the CGIC to that 2.0 level, realizing now that we've got you know the the person you know we've got the personnel uh, in the build out of this capability, um, we've had time to critique the current organizational structure and make recommendations on how we can evolve that structure and make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are sitting on the verge of, like I say, this critical technology uh, and these various case management systems that stand to marry all of those same stakeholders, um, you know, in a, in a data sense, um, that are also the main stakeholders in criminal histories and indexing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, again, that's really brought us to the point where right now we are talking and maneuvering through um, what the CGIC will look like in the future from the leadership level down to how we support all of these entities, how information comes in, how we engage with the field, um, you know, how we make changes, how we you know, expunge. Um, and so again, the, the time is right uh, you know, to capitalize on all of these gains uh, and move it there. And then I think the other important part is tying the field more closely and directly to it. Um, is getting that connection from the tactical level right to the CGIC and the ability to have a conversation in a very timely, direct way, having ac- access to the subject matter expertise mm-hmm. that resides there, cu- you know, coupled with our specialist in the field who uh, you know, are there uh, to, you know, index and look at that and look at the facts surrounding each individual case. Um, and that's a powerful combination to make sure that we, you know, we're getting it right and and no longer, you know, catching up with the rest of law enforcement mm-hmm. across the nation in this area, but actually beginning to lead the way. So stay tuned. It, looks, it sounds like the best is yet to come. Absolutely. A <laughs> lot of great things on the horizon, a lot of things to be excited about. General, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add as you uh, enter the home stretch of your tenure as OSI commander? Yeah. So um, I, I tell you, um, it, it has been uh, the honor of a lifetime um, to you know to start in an organization, uh, you know, as a second lieutenant at Edwards Air Force Base in California in 1993, <laughs> um, and enjoy a career. Um, and I, admittedly, I'm biased, um, but in you know one of, if not the finest organization, and I will say it on the planet, um, you know this close knit group of professionals, um, you know uh, chosen from among the best, uh, who come together in you know in, in an undeniably important set of missions. Um, that you know, touch lives, that touch mission in a way that that far get to do, uh, you know, maybe one or two times in a career, um, and we do it as a command almost every single day. Um, and to know that you've had the privilege and honor of growing up, uh, you know, with this, you know, with these fantastic people, and to be a part of this this family, this team. Um, and then have the opportunity to, you know, um, lead the command at a time when um, transition was the order of the day, when change was the order of the day. Um, and to, you know, have this, in, again, this incredible group of professionals around you 
um, it, you know, to help navigate some of that change, to make those hard turns into uh, the OSI we need to be. Um, and, and so, it, you know, it, it's been an incredible honor, but, I, you know, I go back to um, the thing that is special about this command, and it's the people. Um, it is the, the, the wonderful people, uh, and Chief and I are recharged every time we go visit a unit, every time we go to a Fletzi graduation, when we see the incredible talent coming into this command. When we visit that talent, um, not just agent talent, uh, but the various uh, AFSCs and um, you know civilian specialties that are now a part of this command, and to see everybody working toward uh, that common goal is just something else. So uh, to say it has been a busy four years is probably an understatement. Um, uh, to say that you know I, I won't enjoy the break uh, would not be quite truthful. Um, certainly my wife and my family are looking forward to seeing me a little bit more. Of course, the Citadel would be proud. Well, they will claim me, uh, hopefully. <laughs> <Okay>. hopefully. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I tell you, my friend, um, to say that the day after I leave, um, uh, I won't already miss it, uh, would be to not be truthful. Um, I mean, it has been uh, certainly the defining experience of my life and and. What a great way to spend 30 years. Um, so I will, uh, I'll, I'll miss it. I'll miss it a lot. Our guest has been OSI Commander Brigadier General Terry Al Bullard. Sir, thanks again for taking the time to be with us. Uh, always uh, great to chat. Yeah, absolutely wonderful. Thanks for the time, Wayne. And thank all of you listening for tuning in. For OSI Today, I'm Wayne Amon saying so long for now. <laughs>